Steve, Steve, you're out um, again in your backyard. I am. Doing your... <laughs> <laughs> it's because you really, you really get set up back there. You took a shower, you like dried off, got your scotch ready. I got, got my scotch cushion. ready. I got a cushion. Damn I got these worst. like two, uh, two sort of bug repellent candle yep. things. Because Mike know. and I are just sitting in front of a computer like a, two normal guys. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're sleeping I'm, out back like a hobo. I'm, I'm in also. Your own uh, this is actually my other choice would be I have to go into my own basement because the kids are kind of like going to sleep now. So this is also me avoiding uh, waking anybody. You look like a Ukrainian soldier, like in Bucky. <laughs> yeah. Hiding out. He's like hiding out from, from like some, what's it called? Like the, the alligator. I think that's the name of that helicopter. Yeah, you're, yeah you're... I couldn't see that article. What was it? The alligator? Is that oh, like an a... FT? It was an FT article. Something up. Like the title was something on um, uh, Ukraine's counteroffensive stalled by Russian uh, KA-56 alligators or something helicopter? like that. Right? Attack helicopter? Attack helicopter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So something like that. It was not a, um, you know, it wasn't a glowing review of this counteroffensive, I guess, is the, I think it's... Is the upshot. I mean, if I assume that if they're not, if they're not cheerleading the crap out of this thing, and saying that the tide of the war is turning and stuff, it means that it's going pretty badly. Probably a reason. Because if it was going even like moderately well, it would be all over the news. But instead, right, we got right. to talk about these three, these five dudes in a capsule. <laughs> yeah. By the way, there apparently there were there there was a billionaire in that. In that sub, yeah. How oh, fucking British dumb? Titanic sub. Yeah, yeah. How how like how incredible is it that you somehow made your way to a billion dollars, yet you st- are still stupid enough to get into this little bathtub of a submarine and go to the bottom of the goddamn ocean? It's fucking fucking wild. So I think I think I mean this is the, we can talk about this later, but like the when you have too much money, you just start to seek thrills of some sort, and yeah, just be that yeah. right. So. I have this suspicion that he, you know, like the richer you get in those in those circles, I feel like in a way, the um, the feelings of like the inferiority complexes don't actually go away because like he's now surrounded by like literal like Ubermensch, like um, mm. you know he's got to think of himself in a class with people like a James Cameron or whatever, or he doesn't have to, but that's what he does, and he's probably right. thinking like, you know, because like, one thing I noticed is a lot of the because they've they've drug out you know uh dragged out a lot of like the people who have done this before to get their uh take on like you know hey what was it like going down there you know and they're like yeah like that reporter guy david pogue david yeah though david pogue says he was on the ship he didn't go down Um, well well so from what i understand he was in the sub and went down a little bit like a couple hundred meters or whatever and then that's not much and then yeah and then they canceled it they because of fucking weather or radio mm. comms or something just wasn't working. Mm. And they're like, Oh, we're scrubbing this one. Mm. And then he was on the boat or the ship. Um, as, as they, as they launched the other, like the next one in line. And then that one got lost for a bit. So he, he was never lost in the sub, 
where he was on the boat while it happened, which is wild, right? Because it's like, you know, you go out on this ship and apparently they do five, up to five attempts per expedition to get down Mm -hmm. there. And like three of the five or or maybe all of them got scrubbed that, that one time. And so, yeah, (laughs) dude, don't, don't go in to, or don't 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 go to the bottom of the ocean in like a homemade a, sub. Yeah, in a fucking DIY submarine, dude. <laughs> Doing like 110 atmospheres. Like, come on. Yeah. No matter come how on, rich dude. you are. Well, yeah, I, like, I I I was I figure that I think you know a lot of the people that they had talked to that had done it before were similarly you know rich guys that you know wanted to, they call themselves explorers and they say these like really like sort of like self-aggrandizing stuff about how they always wanted to push the boundary of human knowledge and experience and we'll say right. something like yeah more people less more people have been in space than you know at these depths of the ocean and the future of humanity is in the ocean not space meaning mm. i think they're they really want to see themselves as part of like you know genuine explorer adventurer types yeah. rather than mere tourists which is what they are yeah, this and I is think like that the, these companies are taking advantage of that, as is like you know companies like Blue Origin or Virgin Galactic. Sure, they're yeah. they're just taking, yeah. they're just hustling, which is which. Why I like kind of like these companies, they're like hustling billionaires to short, sort of offer them, they you are. know, immediate like bragging rights and life purpose and meaning. Um, but yeah, it's I mean, really it's an the, advanced tourist package. It's the uh, it's the Lawrence of Arabia fucking grift, <laughs> right? Like. Go go to unknown lands and deep in the sea, you know, to the to the tune of like quarter mil to half a mil a seat. Do you think um, Elon would go on his own Mars mission? I actually I think, think he, he would. would. I think yeah, he, he would. Yeah, I think. But, I think would be, but that actually would be pretty cool. It well, would be cool, but I, I think, think if that he would had like a thirty percent chance envelope, you know, yeah, like I, I think he would I go think a thirty percent chance of survival. I think he would after a certain age. Like after he's yes. sixty, he would do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? he's like that. Uh, the guy from the like the 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 Wayland Yutani guy from Alien. Right. Yeah, be like right. that guy. Yeah, Wait, uh, Mr. Wayland. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Mr. Yutani? Like, what, what is that? That, that? that movie was such a product. Of the 80s. Yeah, Yutani uploaded himself into the cloud. <laughs> it's yeah. like. I mean, I, like Jeff Bezos is fascinating because I feel like he's just going through this massive midlife crisis right now. And yeah. Did you see his? He's got like this, like this sailing yacht, which is actually kind of a cool yacht because it's not, it's different than those like super sleek modern yachts um, yeah. that you know that are all white and kind of look like the houses that all the billionaires build out in L.A. Mm. Like they're all white with like black glass. You know, yeah, whatever. it's very angular. Yeah. But he built one that's more of like a classic sailing ship, you know. It's mm. it supposedly powered mostly by these large sails. But it's really funny because, like, in the bow, you know, like a traditional ship, he's got like sort of a bust of a woman, and you know, oh, like okay. and stuff, and it looks uh, just like his like wife, the hood of a Bentley or something. Yeah, but it's it's huge and it's a kind of a mermaid and it comes out the bow of the ship and it's got big boobs and it looks people are like. Dude, that's 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 his uh, fiance, <laughs> Lord Sanchez, <laughs> and he's just you know he's all jacked you know, and he's like, Dude. did you see him when he came out of that space capsule? That Dude, actually, what? I don't think technically ever achieved orbit, so I don't I don't so, know if he counts that he went to space. It Dude, didn't super, actually orbit. 
it's super funny. Lauren Sanchez used to do the morning show out here in LA. That's crazy. That's oh, she's like I've a radio or TV yeah. TV. Person? Yeah, she, she's like a TV host, and th- there was this show called uh, Good Day LA, hmm. and like they had a bunch of like like hot chicks and uh like cool dudes on this TV show, and it, it came on <laughs> hot at, like, chicks and cool dudes. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's very LA, right? Like <laughs> this is so like eighties hot chicks and cool dudes. That's yeah. totally where he'd be fishing. Yeah, and, like, Yo, and just, remember that hot chicks and cool dudes show? I dude, be this, on that. Well, so this was like a four-hour morning show. Like it would start at like five a.m. and go until nine or something like that. Wow! So it was just like if you, if if like this is back in the day, like maybe 10, 15 years ago, uh, out all the way out to like twenty years ago, and it was just basically the morning show, right? Like if you wake up and you're about to do your commute or whatever, you put this thing on uh on tv and it would mm. just be like the show that you watch while you're you know getting ready to go to work or whatever it was called good day la and yeah it, like it was her What's and like thing is she's she's not like that young you know isn't she in her 50s too and she's yeah, also yeah, yeah. Like, so, so she's... while she was doing the show she was in her 30s and she looked good real good i bet yeah but she's now sort of in that resisting, uh, resisting aging at all costs and getting well, what looks like pretty extensive plastic surgery. And it's a slippery slope. Injections. She's got those like, she's got that that cat face that ha- that sort of like lynx face. You know when they do too much injections in the yeah cheeks no. and lips. And I stuff. mean, and she's starting to LA, a little bit. L.A. is like ground ground zero for that shit. But I don't know how it is in New York, but. Yeah, out here. I, you can, you'll see that sometimes. You'll definitely yeah. see that. I, I saw it over the weekend. Uh, I was I was going to I was in my car on the upper upper west, and I saw a woman who was getting in a cab behind me, and I was looking at her through the through the mirror, and I was like, "Dude, that's that's like a runaway plastic surgery thing." Yeah, you know what I mean. Like she was probably yeah. seventy or something. Oh Jesus! <laughs> but she was wearing like skin tight clothes, and her her face had that classic sort of like I don't know what to call stretched it stretched out look. surgery face. Yeah, you know, it's a stretched out look. Yeah, and but what's fascinating is that she Lauren Sanchez went for that look, and she nabbed the world's richest man. So I guess it does work. Well, hey, you know, <laughs> you can't argue with results. She got results. She's on a bow. <laughs> she's now, now the she, bow of a ship. You know. Yeah. Now she's on fucking yachts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So speaking uh, of money. Yeah. Speaking of money. <laughs> speaking of money. So, dude, I'm. I, I was saying, I, I feel like I'm. I'm potted out in terms of like I, I don't really have much to say anymore about. There's no, there's nothing left to say about like Asian American stuff anymore. It's just so like what what am I gonna do? Are we just get, am I just gonna talk about the latest fucking murder? You know, like oh, yeah, what happened in Seattle. <laughs> sad, like, sad but true. Sad but true. Yeah, it's ridiculous. You know what I mean? When that when that shit went down in um, Allen, Texas, I was like, I'm mm. telling you, give it three weeks. It's gonna happen again. And same shit happens. Just some woman, just fucking pregnant woman. You know, just, you know, like, yeah, just so I'm like, all right, down. look, I've already said everything I have to say about these kind of events. I don't know if it's like worth going into each one that happens. Well, you know, what's crazy than... is what's crazy is like back in the day, the Vincent Chin murder was like a big deal. Huge deal. Yeah. yeah. And, but now that shit happens like every month. All the time. 
Yeah, it's crazy. And even more, in, in some ways, more horrific because, you know, even with Vincent Chin, like he... Not to blame yeah, the victim here, but there, he, there was a whole there was a whole backstory to that. There thing. was a whole backstory. These guys were yeah. going at it for a while. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't just yeah. like heat of the moment. It, there, there was a whole backstory to it. Yeah, but like what happened in Seattle was literally she was she was just stopped in her car, and someone that she has no prior connection yeah, or interaction random. with it was just random random guy outside the car yeah. just kills yeah, yeah. her. You know, that's the kind of thing we're dealing with now. And so, because there's no backstory, you can't even show that it had anything to do with race. And so you can't even talk about right. this as anti-Asian violence because they're just like, how do you know? Well, you, you, you have to. Race? You can only do it in like a statistical sense now. You have to right? do a statistical, yeah. Is... Because the crimes are just so outlandish and random. They don't even have motivations. They're just no. people lost their fucking mind and they're just killing people. There's no, Spur of the moment. Like, there's no motivation to this. At least with Vincent Chin, you're like, oh yeah, it was this white dude. He lost his job. He was angry at Asians. He got humiliated by this guy in, you know, in front of some ladies at the strip club. So we beat him. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm not making light of what happened. I'm just saying it's understandable in terms of a story. Yeah, there's a, there's a context. There's the, yeah, there's yeah. like actually like you could make a movie out of it and it would have a plot. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Whereas yeah, yeah. a lot of, you know, it's a, there's an arc like, to the, yeah, yeah there's, there's, an, an there's an arc. There's an arc. This is just a hard discontinuity. I was going about my day and then a bullet flew through the window and I'm yeah. dead. Yeah. And so is my unborn child. It's, yeah. I can't, Fucking there's sad. nothing to talk about other than just to mourn it, right? So, wrong place, yeah. wrong time, all that. Yeah. So we'll talk about real estate instead because, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, the rest of it is just too goddamn. Everything depressing. is just terrible. Yeah, yeah there, there's terrible. nothing. There's nothing that talking will do, or processing, or narrating this thing is going to do to get anyone to understand it more. There's nothing to understand. Um, yep. And so we're going to talk about real estate because someone in the I'm like, yo, I think I think I'm running out of shit to talk about. I'm not running talk shit to talk about. I'm running out of stuff to pot about. And uh, so I'm like, you know what? Just fucking just talk about whatever. <laughs> it right. doesn't have to be related to any sort of like pressing racial politic thing or whatever. Not, yeah. not, not, not that I think we even ever focus that much on that, to be honest, uh, per se. Maybe we did. I don't know. But someone in the Discord was like, talk about real estate. I was like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> as good a topic as any, guys. It's, I mean, it. It is, like it is the largest asset class in the world. It is definitely the largest asset class in Asia. So there's That's that. A, it's, a, it's also an interesting sort of time because I feel like we're in an inflection point in the U.S. with respect to both real estate of all forms, uh, residentially and commercial. And oh, yeah, uh, yo, that's another. Yeah, that's another. But someone said they wanted to talk about the philosophical underpinnings of, of real estate. I don't know what that means. Who said I mean, what? Who said that? <laughs> the philosophical talk about the, the philosophical, philosophical underpinnings of real, of real estate. I mean, I think uh, the philosophy is pretty basic. Like, it's real. You can touch it. Is it is it's a guy talking class, about and it and it cash flows? That's that's the thing for is, me. Is this person talking, talking about, about communism? first, because you said it's real. I don't think you're suggesting that that's why we call it real estate, but it is real. It is the most well. It's r- real, real as in royal. Royal, exactly. Yeah. Uh, ah, Royal Estate. Like Montreal. Oh. Yeah, Montreal. Yep. Yeah. So it's Royal Estate. It's 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 this idea that it all derives ultimately from, at least under the English common law system, that it all derives ultimately from the domain of the king. Yep. Uh, and so... Uh, uh, okay. I mean, and, and that's why they call it eminent domain. domain. 
Yeah, that's why they call it eminent domain instead of royal domain in Western democracies. When they when they want to when they want to take shit. shit. It's not communism. A, it's eminent domain. Yeah, when they want to take your shit to build a freeway on ramp or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. They, they, they just snatch it from you. And you know, like these people are compensated. It, it's not like uncompensated, but it's unpleasant. It's unpleasant. You yeah. get dislocated, and is it market rate? I mean, maybe market rate, but what are they like? They're they're rating it on comps, right? Like yeah. comparable properties. Yeah. They don't do it as much anymore as well because it's just politically fraught. Yeah, so, it's just real just tough to do these days. That's, why, that's I mean, why I think there's a big problem with uh, infrastructure building, particularly like talking about stuff like high-speed rail. I mean, the mm. reason we like airlines, air, air flying, I think, is not just because it's faster. In a way, like if you if you add on all the security lines and getting yeah, there for like a medium or, distance, it's not better. It's not necessary. If you can, I think that you could do probably like you could. If you got high speed rail going, you could make up and down the coasts. Yeah, you can make uh, it taller, better right. than flying. I, I think, think so. Like have like if if you, I don't know if about you take like HSR, like in China, it's mm-hmm. so much more comfortable than an airplane. Like it's it's not even comparable. Yeah, like you, you just get on the platform, get on the train, and you that's get on it. the train, and you have like double the legroom in coach. Yeah. Right? And there's so and many they, trains. They just keep there's going. There's so many trains. Yeah, it's almost, it's like every 20 minutes or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so you don't have to like book your return necessarily. Yeah. Like you could just figure it out when you get you there. You figure it out when you get there. And, and the airlines, you got you to gotta like plan out your, you know, every moment. You're like, I got to get there at exactly, this time. And then exactly, I'm this time. exactly. Changing a flight. That's the other thing about flights is like changing a flight is not easy. Like you're committed. Yeah, no, it's, it's, true. it's weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's not only just logistically tough, but financially like they you basically have to buy another ticket yeah pretty much all right so are, so, are, are you guys getting are you guys getting like dropouts or is that just me on like the, uh, the connection okay. fine with me fine fine with me yeah, maybe, maybe you're sitting in a dead spot or something in your in your backyard this is this is fine last time okay. um well okay well we'll just we'll just deal in any event let, let's uh okay Let's let's have a starting point here with with respect how to talk about the philosophical underpinnings of real estate. I think because it's a kind of inflection point. Oh, we really lost him. He dropped off. Oh, oh no, I'm here. I just I just cut off the um. I'll oh, cut off the video bandwidth. in case. Yeah, bandwidth, I cut off the video yeah. to, to save like an inkling of bandwidth. But since I'm just mm. uh, chilling I'm in my dark, no, I can't. it feels oh, okay. more not as outdoorsy as it oh, was. I could, I could I could do like that. You know that that thing from Speed where the guy just like replayed the same thing over and over. I could I could do that oh, for right, you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Who's that? Who's that wildcat behind the wheel? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, philosophical underpinnings of real estate. Let's start with a proposition. And the proposition, I think, and and a common common wisdom, common sense or wisdom, um, is that it's just, it's really good and it's almost imperative to own a home. Is that still true? Well, it, it depends on what your entry point is. I mean, I think under that common sense rubric, it didn't matter. Like whatever, whatever entry point, whatever income level or whatever level you're looking at, it yeah, is I mean, better to own a home than to be a renter because renting um, is throwing away money, whereas uh, buying is lo- one locking in um, uh, a certain amount of expense to you know your mortgage expense, etc. You're locking that in, and it's an investment. 
that will grow with time. And I think that is the starting point. That is the question. Yes. About so uh, I would say that on the time frame of an American fixed rate mortgage, either 15, 20, 25, or 30 years. Y- yeah. But the question is, can you, can you support that asset? Because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a high carry asset, right? You have to, if you're, if you're using a mortgage, AKA leverage, you have to be able to service the debt. You have to, you have to be able to afford any maintenance or improvements, and, and you know it's and taxes. Um, so it's, it is insurance. a high carry asset, mm-hmm. insur- and insurance, and God knows what else. But it it is a high carry asset. There's a lot of, um, yeah. There's a lot of ex- extra costs associated with it. I mean, I think. Um... In the states, you get interest deductibility. You get you get two advantages, right? You get interest deductibility, yep. on your mortgage, and number two, uh, you can have thirty-year mortgages. You can lock in for like forever, and you can yep. refi if rates go down, but you don't have to refi if rates go up, right? So you right. kind of get like a free option on that. In Canada, we don't get that, but we do get uh, uh, your primary residence is not subject to capital gains here, so there's no capital oh. gains tax. Yeah. Yes, but we, we we the interest is not tax deductible, and they're That's only the same with the U.S. Five years. No, no, uh, you guys so, have to pay. So in, you guys have to pay cap gains, don't you? Or is there uh, some like no, no, no it's, it's capped. Wallet. The cap gain tax is capped. Or well, it's it's, it's, it's capped. capped. It's floored. It, it's well, it's so if you if you roll it into another purchase, then it gets waived. Oh, does it? Yeah, no, but if you don't, if but you if you, you don't deferred. roll it, no, wait, if you don't roll it, if you don't you roll also it, pay up to half a million dollars. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, I know really? this because okay. I sold a home and I didn't roll yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that because I never sell. My family yeah. never sells. Yeah. Okay. Never well, sell. if, that, if that's the case, then I mean, there's, <laughs> there's like clearly tax, preferential tax oh, treatment. The, ta- for the tax, the it's, there's, there's huge amounts of government subsidy for the home market, the home purchasing yeah. market. Yeah. Dude, there's yeah. a, there's a, there's a, there's a primary. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a primary origination market, and then there's how God knows how many layers of secondary securitization of mortgages. Mm. And well, we US. have the agency system, which you basically is now federally taxed. It turns it so basically like the American uh, mortgage industry is centered around these government agencies, which yes. wrap your mortgages so that your the credit worthiness of a group of what they call qualified mortgages has the same credit profile as U.S. government debt. So right. yes, with a Post little bit 08, of a risk yes. premium, because I think that it does build in a certain amount of like loss, right? So there are loss barriers, meaning there there can be missed payments and stuff. So there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a juice a spread above uh, above yeah. treasuries and and also yeah. so on no non risk. there's no real default so risk. on on non qualified mortgages aka jumbos the duration of those bonds or securitized mortgages is long enough that even low interest rates have a have have a significant uh duration return right so that over even if you're even yeah even if you're at two three four percent over a 20 to 30 year or you know let's say 15 to 30 year horizon you're getting a pretty good return especially and they're, and if you they're hold it too. to 
Yeah, especially if you hold it to maturity, right? Like you're just getting cash. There's a, there's a coupon. I mean, it's a fucking mortgage. So there's a monthly payment and there's a coupon on these things because it's just, you know, it, it's not like a zero coupon bond where you have to just hold it to maturity and then refi it. Steve, I, I would guess that U.S. agency uh, U.S. agency mortgage bonds is probably what the second largest asset class, fixed income asset class after treasuries. I would guess that's quite possibly true. I know after after '08, right when the government sort of explicitly backed Fannie and Freddie, um, they like the spreads came in from the sort of like the the, the credit crisis, sort of the GFC wides. And now they probably do. I, I think they do trade. Uh, to be honest, I'm not overly MB- familiar with MBS. I think they do. They are going to trade at like uh, uh, a discount or a, like a yield premium, let's say, to Treasuries. Um, part of that, I think, is because there's some kind of like spread extension or sorry, duration extension risk. Like if you think about, because it's a unit, it's a so homeowners get unidirectional option to refi, right? Like if yeah. rates go down, homeowners refi. If rates go up, nobody's refi. Right. Yeah. So you have prepayment um, risk. You have yeah. You, it's like you get prepay risk if you have high coupons, then you get prepay risk if rates go lower. If you have low coupons, then let's say let's say like you got a stack of two percent MBS, right? To take an extreme example, and then rates went way up. Well, guess what? Those home guess what those mortgagees are doing? They're holding on to that forever, and they are not prepaying. So your expected duration is just going to be like, well, now you're just getting two percent for the whole 30 years. Yeah, you're just going to Meanwhile, hold it. yeah, meanwhile market rates are 5 now. So have fun with that. All right? So there's there's a bit of that. Well, um, the, yeah, and there's the, also that's the That's the dynamic that led to SVB and these all these bank failures, right? Uh, yeah, so it is an extreme dynamic. version of it, but yes, yeah. it's an extreme version of it. Well, yeah, cuz they were they were underwriting mortgages at below market. Yeah, I mean SVB, I think they they bought us a whole bunch of 10-year. I think it was Treasuries, but it could have been it could have been um Oh no! It was MBS. It was yeah, MBS. It was, yes, but, but it was but agency MBS. But it was had... like some low spread. It was at some really low rate, and then they got but, screwed. But the point, yeah, because they that... were hooking their hooking their clients up with below mm-hmm. market mortgages. But the point being also that they had two, like these these banks have two buckets of securities, fixed income securities. One is hold to maturity, and one's ready for sale. Mm-hmm. And the if they held them to maturity, then you just get your return. You just get the coupon you get whatever you locked in but they they had to uh they had to transfer some of that stuff over to the ready for sale yes and if you're going to sell it then you're gonna you're you're gonna take that loss benchmarked against prevailing rates the market the market's the market price is whatever the market price is right doesn't matter what you hold it fixed income is a tricky it's a tricky asset you know i think more people have been buying because i've been buying treasuries short dated right short dated Mm. is a lot easier to deal with than long dated yeah like bills yeah um, so short dated, you know, like if you're dealing with one year, the worst that could possibly happen to you is you just hold it for a year. Yeah. Right. Whereas with these longer term, you get crushed if rates go yes, up. You can get crushed. You get really yeah. good. Cause what are you going to do? Just wait for 30 years. Yep. You know, you're not nope, going to do that. You can't do that. Yeah. I mean, right? it'll, it'll draw down what, like 20 to 40% or something. The duration is crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, I think a 10 year bond that probably has a duration of about eight. So if interest rates go up by one percent the bond will bond price will go down by eight times that yeah right so so interest rates so like take last year or the like the course of fed hikes call it 500 basis points of hikes long end hasn't gone up by that much but let's just say like you know uh let's say interest rates went up by three percent times eight that's 24 percent loss on your bond all right have fun all right like you're you're most people don't 
I think, realize that, that you can actually lose 24% on a bond, on a government bond. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, well, thumbs and shakes. Yeah, I mean, especially when interest rates are low, the relative gain on, or the relative increase in rates is, you know, I mean, it's basically like leverage, right? You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of a magnet. Yeah, it's a magnification. But I think yeah. this is like, to, to, to bring it back to real estate, right? Like, I would get, so the philosophy about, you know, should you just buy a principal residence? You know, that that's one topic. Um, the other, the other angle is like, look, from a, from an investment perspective, let's, okay, let's, let's pretend, let's take a hypothetical scenario where you are, you already own like your own kind of principal residence and it, it's kind of fine. Right. So you kind of take that, take that out of it for a second. Right. Like I think, and I'm kind of the anti real estate guy as an investment. Um, and there's two reasons for that. One is, uh, from a portfolio allocation perspective, if you accept the premise that diversification is generally a good thing, and I think that it is a generally a good thing, if you just like plunk down money for a house, given that the size of the uh, for an investment property, right? Given that the size of it is usually pretty chunky, you probably just have that one thing. Maybe you have two, right? So in the whole universe of things that you could invest in, you've got these two specific houses in whatever city. Right, so you're completely not diversified whatsoever. And then you kind of have to ask yourself, well, do I think I'm going to like house pick better than the entire market that is going to overcome the massive diversification loss? Like what if the city that you pick in just sucks, right? Like Detroit or something like that and it went down for 50 years. So that's that's the first version. That's, that's kind of like the first reason. The second reason is more structural, which is you have to ask, like a lot of people do real estate. Now, why do they do real estate? I think the first reason is that it is the easiest asset on which most normal people can get a whole bunch of leverage, right? Yeah. Because you can go put in Canada, I think it's like, I don't know, 20 or 30, but in, in once upon a time in the U S I guess it was like 10% down or, right? and yeah. you can, or, or, or five. five. So you can get 10 X, 20 X leverage. Okay. On a cash flowing asset, if you find a tenant. So for most people, there's no other asset that you're going to get 10 X, 20 X leverage on try and take a giant punt but real estate you can do it so that's part of the structural reason the other part of the structural reason is kind of what going back to this this example of the bonds you don't see the price move every day so you don't have to look at you don't have to look at mark to market right yeah and it's also like, you can't just sell it on a whim you can't just sell it on a whim and it's just kind of like i paid three hundred thousand dollars and next month i'm gonna think it's still worth three hundred thousand dollars Right. I don't have to like deal with like if you buy three hundred thousand dollars of stocks next day, it could be worth like, you know, two hundred eighty or, or three hundred and ten. Right. And you kind of have to like look at that every day and be like, oh, shit, I lost 20 grand today right? with a house. Not an issue. Right. So so then if you so those are kind of like, OK, one from a. So, you know, go back to two reasons. One, it's not diversified. Number two, there are structural reasons why people do real estate. But if you can work around those structural reasons i.e. if you're willing to just look at the price go up and down every day, right? And you're just like psychologically willing to handle that. And you are psychologically willing to accept that you're not, you don't need 10 to one leverage, right? Yeah. Um, well, then why compete with everybody that's doing this? Yeah. So I'll, I'll just say that. Um, so my family owns a small, small real estate business basically. And 
Our entry point was 2009, 2010. Commercial or residential? Residential, residential. Mm -hmm. Okay. On the on the West Coast and like Vegas and. And by business, you mean owner owning property? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so our entry point was 2009, 2010, and there was no leverage. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's fantastic. Then. So, I I would say that like. If you're if you're lever levering yourself into a real estate quote unquote business where you're you know charging rent and cash flowing and all that stuff, there are you. It's super tempting to do it when interest rates are low and property values are constantly going up, because you're like, oh, this is a, an appreciating asset with low with low uh, interest rate on whatever leverage you use to buy this stuff, but. That's kind of a trap, right? Because if you buy real estate on leverage on the way up, it only works as as long as real estate keeps going up, right? Because then all of your numbers look good. You're on the right side of all these trades. But as soon as interest rates go up like they just have and um, property values stop levitating, you're kind of just stuck and you have to hope that rents keep going up or else you're not going to be able to service this debt on top of all the taxes and is that cuz you can't costs. you couldn't get fixed you couldn't get fixed uh financing for no no you can but once but once the real estate starts dropping in value or not appreciating um you have to you have to keep servicing that debt at whatever rate you bought it at, but but there's no guarantee that rents will keep up with that, right? But yeah. Why why do you care about rents going up if your costs are fixed? Uh, because rents can go down. Oh, so like, you're saying you just don't want rents to go down? Yeah, you don't want rents don't to, to go down. Going. I mean, I mean got... it depends on your financing structure, right? Like like Mike said, his his parents did it, I guess, without leverage at all. Without right? with so zero like leverage. So then, you, I mean, you don't you don't really have. A financing structure, so you're you're good no matter what, right? And I think you like just, look, you just own it. You just, you just own just it. Have, you yeah. just have costs so you and nine. you have income at that point. Yeah, but you yeah. don't have not financing easy. costs. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I think most have, people have... are not in that situation. Yeah, they're, well, they're in I mean, this for the leverage. Well, well, here's the thing: is that when rates are really low, you kind of are in that situation because, uh, I mean, it's. I'm, I'm just looking at a mortgage calculator now. Let's say, let's say, uh, you took out. Uh, you bought a half million dollar home, put down twenty percent, so you finance four hundred thousand at two point eight percent, which was a very common rate. Your total out, your total payments for the life of a thirty year fixed loan was five hundred ninety two thousand dollars. So the 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 pay, the home is five hundred is. Uh, well, I guess that you would add your you would add your down payment, but for a four hundred thousand dollar loan to pay it off over thirty years would cost you five hundred ninety two thousand dollars. So, yeah. call it one hundred ninety two thousand in total total interest rates. If you go to six point five percent, which is I think oh, a fairly like common rate today, yeah. yeah, more than double. Your total like eight hundred grand or something, right? Your total is going to be nine hundred ten thousand dollars. Nine hundred ten thousand dollars. Of that's total for mm. for a four hundred thousand dollar loan. Mm. The difference there is, you know, three hundred twenty, call it three hundred twenty thousand dollars difference. Yeah, 
and and this is this is part of the reason why the Fed wants to target two percent inflation, right? So it the, they want to maintain that spread, so that over the course of thirty years, the the inflation in terms of the cash flow of rent that you can get on this property does not outpace the actual, um, or, 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 yeah, it doesn't outpace the actual like inflation rate of the, of the interest that you're paying and, or, or sorry, it does outpace the, uh, interest that you're paying so that you actually have real profits and cash flow on a month to month, you know, basis when it comes to rent. Yeah, I mean, they're looking at this from a structural market perspective, not any yeah. particular individual homeowner. They're looking yeah. sort of like at the aggregate, you know, interest expense for the in the housing market, right? In the market, and then, yeah. and then looking at rental income in the aggregate for the market, and then comparing those t- those kind of numbers. Right. Um, but as an individual you, investor, I mean, it all depends on what your entry point is, what your what rate, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, where yeah. your home and, is. Yeah, and and the and the thing is. The the good entry points come around every, you know, ten years or whatever, ten to twenty years, and it's important that you get in at these good entry points. But the thing is, during those good entry points, credit uh, contracts, right? The availability of credit and leverage contracts. So you have to be in a position where you can um, either pay cash for these properties or have a, a large enough down payment that the interest is not a big is, deal. It's not a big deal on yeah. the on the on the margin that you're, yeah. or yeah. not the margin, but the uh, the remainder of the or the you know the equity portion of your real estate. See, and I, I think like like Mike, for, you, for obviously for your parents, like to, to pick up in cash in '09 is amazingly good and fantastic timing. Bro, it was, right? dude. I dude, I I've seen the paperwork, so we have like a, a real estate trust. Yeah. yeah. Um, tied to an LLC and all this shit. Dude, I I've seen the paperwork. They were buying single family homes, like decent homes. Mm. What like like one of the properties that they bought is it, it was a house. Yeah. $75,000 in California? In Nevada. Oh. Vegas. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. Yeah, I believe so, that. Back then, so yeah. Think about so this entry point was you could buy a house that generates two to three thousand dollars a month in rent for seventy five thousand yeah. dollars. The danger ridiculous. with that is that you gorge yourself, and then you had, because the thing with houses is that they're not pure assets; they're also liabilities. Yeah, there's carry. tax liabilities. There's carry on it. There's carry they're, on. It. They have maintenance fees, costs attached to it, yeah. and the not problem just that. With- so what? Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but. One, one of the biggest risks in these kind of markets is if the if the tenant can no longer afford the rent and they get evicted, they're going to fuck up the house. Yes. Right. And that's Nevada. Do- that's Nevada. Like in New York, there's there's very, very favorable tenant laws. Oh, dude, favorable- dude. We'll talk about Toronto in a moment, but yes. <laughs> yeah, there's laws very favorable to tenants. So I have a friend. I, I bring this up because I have a friend um, who – who went to Rochester, New York, which is like sort of like a, a small market town in upstate New York. And he, he would buy houses for, you know, like five digits, right? He would buy like a $35,000 single family home. Yeah. And in his mind, he was like, dude, I could just buy up fucking houses, mm-hmm. you know, and he built up like a significant, perf- I mean, think about that. 
Thirty-five thousand. He could easily he easily bought like ten, fifteen. It's like houses. car money. It's car money. Yeah, you know, like he just with cash, right? Yeah. And so he's like thinking he's like this landlord. It, you know, he's got ten, fifteen or fifteen houses in this town, and then he 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 hired a a local cop to kind of be his like, you know, real estate enforcement guy. You know, going around picking up rent and shit. You know, but it just became a nightmare because one because and he would lose money regularly. Uh, on an annual basis, because first of all, that's ten air conditioners that don't work. You know that mm. that can go wrong. Those are ten sets of like old pipes that'll burst at the worst time. Those are ten sets of roofs that are going to leak. Mm. And then on top of that, he was running into like tenant problems where the tenants wouldn't leave and they wouldn't pay. And the cop yeah. is not. The cops like I can't kick him out. It's not legal. It's not yeah. legal. He's not, he's not the sheriff. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not the fucking sheriff. See, so, this is this is where like choosing your location. One of my biggest mistrades is not doing this in Detroit. In like twenty. <laughs> you think that was a mistrade? I remember when you were talking about that. Yeah, Why is that a I I think it was Detroit's mistrade. still a piece I mean, of shit. So, uh, but it's but it's a piece of shit that would have been highly profitable over the last twelve years. And how, how far it, away is Detroit from Toronto? Uh, about five hour drive. Oh, okay. drive. Yeah, I like I, I even Why would it have been and, very probable because like it was of appreciation and home value. Yeah, or? because like in in 2010 rental income rental rents have gone up from I think back then like the sort of there was like the standard shitty Detroit suburbs house that was like two bedrooms, two bathrooms or two two bedroom, one bath or something like that. Right. Uh, and they were going there were you could get them for like thirty five, forty. Uh, and they would rent for like uh, maybe seven or eight hundred bucks a month at the time. This was like twenty eleven. Now they've probably gone to 80k, and the rent is like 1,200 or so, right? You the would do better the, in stocks. You would do better in stocks. You would probably do, yeah. It, well, okay, uh, yes, you would have done better in stocks. Um, but I think the thing is also Detroit, at least on a real estate basis, you can kick them out, right? Like it's it's like very pro landlord. You're illegally you can kick them out, but can you legally, physically you, kick them out? Yeah, yes, well, you can, so, you can send it. Apparently, you my, go uh, do a, that a buddy of mine did this. A buddy of mine did this, and if they're if they're what is it like two weeks late, you send the sheriff. Okay, yeah, so <laughs> but there's so there's there's luck. like there's like balancing forces to this, like in in uh, in more I guess financially conservative areas where you can just evict someone at the drop of a hat. Um, like for example, in Nevada, landlords are actually always on the hook for utilities. Oh, interesting. So yeah. So there's like a, a balancing effect where, yeah, you can kick anyone out for any reason at any time, but they're going to leave all they, the lights on and whatever. You know. Yeah. They're going to leave all the lights on and run the fucking barbecue and the hot tub. Yeah. Constantly. Or whatever. And the, and the, and the landlord is uh, responsible for the utilities. So, mm. you know, th th there's, there's this weird dynamic where it's like, you know, the, the renter is incentivized to keep paying the utilities, but for the, but for only the reason, well, how do I put this for, they're only incentivized to keep paying the utilities so they don't get evicted basically. But if they do the get evicted, or yeah, sorry, keep yeah, okay. keep paying the rent and the utilities, yeah, for for the reason that they don't want to get evicted. But if they do, they can run it up, move out, and then the landlord's on the hook for 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 handling all of that utilities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, oh, this I is part of the headache of real estate, right? So I wanna, yeah, there's I'll, there's a it's very local. There's a bunch of laws that you have to yeah. 
let's let's shift from the idea of real estate simply as a side investment or an asset class and and also talk about primary residence real estate and um whether it's It's expensive whether it's an imperative for people a family or whoever um to own their home or whether renting is a viable option i am on the fence on this i've been a homeowner and i'm currently a renter and I would say that the issue is pretty complicated because um, it, it has it a lot has to do with one like rental protection because in New York you get lots of rental protection. I'm rent stabilized, yeah. and so when when you start getting li- like maybe here's a philosophical underpinning of real estate, right? The difference between owning real estate and and renting real estate is a spectrum. It's not. There isn't, to me, a hard break between ownership and leasing. First of all, under the law, leasing is a form of ownership, right? What we talk about ownership, we're talking about a type of property, a, prop, a type of estate called fee simple absolute. And what when you're renting, you have you have a, a form of estate called leasehold. So they're both forms of ownership, right? And right. so from the law, the legal perspective, ownership of real property is really a bundle of it's a it's a package of rights and obligations it's not mm. simply this is yours and you're the king now right like no it comes with a lot like you could be taxed on it yeah and you're 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 legally liable for shit that happens on your property so if you own a lot of pro- like large land that a lot yeah, of people come on to like, you're going to get your you're going to get fucking sued if any of them get hurt on your property like all this stuff it's not just like I own it, like I own a, a car or like I own a, you know, like an object. And um, when you're renting, in some places, you get more rights as a renter than you do in other places. So in places where the renters are heavily protected, like say here in my building, I know I was just talking to one of my neighbors. He grew up in this building or no, sorry. He, yeah, he grew up in this building and he still lives here and his sister lives on the first floor. And they've been here for like 35 years. And there's like tons of people in, in this building that have been here forever because they can't be evicted and their rents can't go up more than the statutory amount, which is like some years zero and some years, two, you know, they're, 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 it's going to go up probably five to seven percent in this next round. And people are rioting, rioting over five to seven yeah. percent, which in this yeah. environment is actually pretty it's reasonable. Pretty contained. Yeah. Given that yeah. market rents in New York City are going well, up. Well, yeah. Also, like, this is a deal. This is a deal. Also, it yeah. probably did not go up during the during COVID. COVID. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah. much. Oh, yeah, by, not uh, much. Uh, by the way, Toronto, the Toronto or Ontario rent guideline for the past couple of years has been 1.5. 1. 1.5. That's for rent for like stabilized. Two. Yeah. Like, yeah, like I think here 20, in, COVID year was zero, I think. And then uh, 21 and 22 were 1.5. Sorry, what's 1.5? Is that for rent stabilized apartments? For yeah, like the max that you can raise the rent by is 1.5 percent. Yeah. If what you're subject worth? to that law, right? If you're if you're just like a single, if you're just owning renting out like a second uh, home, is that are you? I bound think by that most too, the vast majority of of rentals in Toronto are under rent control. I believe. Oh wow! There's, like, there's oh, only a little bit of carve outs. That's so the way it, the way it works here in Santa Monica is every building that was constructed before 1979 or something like that is subject to rent control as a blanket rule. But anything built after that is free market. So it's very interesting. There's like a two tier system where if you live in an older building, which implies that you're a long time renter, you know, not, not really, but that's, 
the sort of like implication or what they're trying to go after uh, in, in having this statute. Um, yeah, like rent, rent control, it only increases by, I think the, the, the worst I've seen as a property manager was like 1.2% or something. And during COVID, it was like 20 bucks because, <laughs> yeah, because like the yeah, owners people, had- they, they, they needed emergency measures because everyone would have been ex- uh, evicted. Yeah, yeah there, there was there was like the rent there was like rent moratorium and also rent increase moratorium and the whole. I think the whole, the I think that whole that whole project that whole system of moratoriums shows you that um, you know we're really you know it's we can't just easily it's not a binary between ownership and I and a renter. It, it, there's like a lot more. It's it's a yeah, lot more nuances in here. It's yeah. It's like a sort of like battle of like rights and obligations because like yeah. for example like yeah. in my building the the owner of the building the landlord is on the hook for all of these rises in like heating expenses mm-hmm. and you know like mm-hmm. the fact that my lease you know I don't pay for most utilities except for electricity but like the heating and water is all on the is yeah. on the landlord like first of all that's why operational law that. they don't you know he, he they would gladly put it on their tenants if they were able to but they're not able to because of the law and so all these rises in the cost of heating oil, which has been pretty, you know, during the in, in period of inflation has been pretty high. Um, it's all on them. They can't, they can't, they legally yeah, cannot they just pass gotta that eat on it. to the tenants. They just got to eat it. Yeah. So renting for me has really protected me. Whereas when I owned an apartment in Brooklyn, you know, every single cost got passed on to you as the, you know, as I, I was a co, it was a co-op. Yeah. You're a member of the organization. Yeah. I'm a member. And as a, you know, as a owner of the building, uh, all of the costs got, you know, just dumped in our laps. And let me tell you, when you're facing the full brunt of like the market out there in terms of like what it costs to get uh, a roof, you know, fixed or like a leak uh, fix, or like you a are out in the cold. Dude, Dude, when you a, get a when you ago? see that engineer come to your building and start scoping out the structural problems, you know you're getting fucked. I mean, Dude, I just I just paid last year during the first set of like so California's been in a drought for over a decade. Yeah. And like I think last not last winter but the winter before, it just fucking dumped rain, right? And right. our roof right. had to be replaced and it cost me $8,000. Yeah. as a special assessment from the HOA, which is the oh same as a co-op on the East Coast. Yeah. So the HOA billed us $8,000, and guess what? The new fucking roof leaks too, <laughs> right? And it it like, just becomes this, I mean, you, you know, you're owning an ability. It becomes this ongoing saga of, of maintenance. And then we had this, you guys, I'm sure, have a, um, uh, have a management company. And yeah. so I was on the board of my co-op. And yep. I, I got to know sort of, you know, how this works uh, to, to an extent. And we would have a punch list of just like big ticket items that the building had to go through. Right. We had a very old building and it was like, we got to replace the roof. And then we've got to do the, you know, we've got, you got structural problems on the back of the first, it was two buildings. The first building, you've got structural problems. Then we have a window replacement project. Then we've got to replace the cooling tower. Then we yeah. got to do this. The elevator pipes and all that. Yeah, well, it was crazy, dude. Crazy. And what what this is, my, this is what the management agent told me. He was like, this punch list is circular. So the way you have to think about this is you're going to get through this punch list. 
And by the oh, time you're finished with the last the, piece, like the first thing is going to first thing's going to go bust again, and you just go through it like this. It's just a repetitive cycle yeah. of maintenance. He's like, that is called the cycle of maintenance. Do you understand now? And I was like, <laughs> gun to my head, I'm out. Boom! Like I don't want this, so, man. Okay, I don't want to so, be stuck so, in this. So you go back to the the this. Okay, this is actually kind of interesting. Like you go back to the philosophy of real estate, right? And you guys are kind of talking about apartments. Like I, I'm actually kind of curious. Family like, homes are rough too. Or, well, single-family homes. The I guess maybe the difference with single-family home is that like the land theoretically has no maintenance, right? So yeah. it, I, I'm kind of yeah, thinking like that's that, that's what that's why they break out the property tax asset, tax assessment yes. to land and improvements. Land and imp- well, I, I I don't know how it works in Toronto. That's, like, that's, yeah, that's how they do it. Taxes are actually kind of low. Uh, the number here. of people I've known that had to regrade their backyard because the rain pools up in a weird way because their neighbor regraded, and so all the rainwater goes onto their lot, and now they've got to regrade, so it goes back into their the other <laughs> <laughs> competitive regrading. Yeah. Uh, Actually, this is kind I, of I, shit that they got to deal with, especially now with these like mon- these we got like monsoons on the east coast, and so yeah. we get flash floods. And so my friends, you know, their their backyards. This didn't happen when we were kids, but now that we get these like sort of tropical monsoon type shit on the east coast, yeah, like they'll have like a foot of standing water in their backyard. Oh, ouch! Right, oh, and then they're they all like three or four of my friends have had to have you know sort of like uh, contractors come out and be like, oh yeah, that's because you're at the bottom of the land grade here, and your neighbors have yeah, 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 it, yeah, it yeah. comes onto your yeah. property, and so, so they, all yeah, the I, neighbors are in this like land grading fight to get I the am, water. I'm off. at a high point on my street, so you're lucky. Yeah, so I'm so, so, with you. That well, that that's a big <laughs> thing when you when you buy real estate, you have to you have to make sure that it's not in a floodplain and all this yes. stuff. So yes, I think there might be yeah. I think there might be some reclassifications in the near future for a lot of properties. Yeah. You know, if, if you're, if you're at the low point and you're in a, a, a non floodplain area, more precipitation w- might force a reclassification into floodplain. So. I had a friend who lived in Palm beach. Uh, I've talked about him a lot on this pod <laughs> because he's a, you know, um, he's it's kind like of the plastic generic. surgeon or something. The surgeon guy. Uh, ortho. Yeah. He's yeah. a hip guy. Um, but he owned a house in, uh, like on, in Palm beach or not Palm beach, but like the neighborhood south, just South of Palm beach, Adjacent. Um, but it's on that barrier Island and his, he, his family loved it, you know, and it had, he had a really nice big lot and it was right not on the beach, but like in the, there's like a canal that goes to the beach. So he had like a little dock in his backyard and everything, but he was paying something like four grand a month. Just what? for just for uh, flood insurance because he was in a flood what? he was in a FEMA flood zone, and when you're in a FEMA flood zone, what happens oh, is that every gosh. mortgage underwriter requires you to go buy. You have to maintain. It's a covenant on your mortgage that you will maintain flood insurance. Meaning, not only do you have to go buy flood insurance to get the mortgage, but if you stop, if you if you're unable to purchase um, flood insurance for whatever reason, and we'll give you the you, mortgage. you break a covenant on your mortgage, and oh, you can get shit. foreclosed on. Four grand a wow. month is a mortgage. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. No, it was mortgage. more than his mortgage. He was paying more. I couldn't believe it because, like, he and he was he's he's a guy like you know we don't really he's a guy you know like this is an example where like friends don't often talk about like financial shit, mm. and so there there are these big things where I'm like wait wait wait, you pay more for insurance than your mortgage. He was like, yeah, it's a you know I got to buy flood insurance, and I was like, dude, that's a sizable expense, man. Yeah. So, uh, and not so only flo- that, but flood insurance is is going to go broke. 
Yeah. It's a government well, it's government insurance. That's the only available insurance you can buy is government funded insurance. No private insurance. Well, so so here's the thing, right? Like insurance was designed to mitigate individual losses, not societal losses, losses. Uh, yeah. structural exactly. not, not like macro yeah losses. not like macro losses yeah, yeah. yeah so like it, you can't it, buy hurricane insurance because they're like that's a macro yeah. event yeah well same in yeah. Cal- same in california you With cannot buy earthquake insurance or fire insurance like yeah. they're just it's they're just not letting these policies yeah and that yeah. cat bond is, didn't really work i mean i don't think the cat bond stuff really created a market for this stuff either the catastrophe bonds yeah you know they were yeah. they were trying I mean, to those, use like they were trying oh, to use like the long duration capital markets like a very, yeah, I mean, there's like a very long cycle to those things. Like at some point, there's, there's too many losses, then prices go up, and then people are like, oh, you know, maybe it won't be so bad, and we can charge more, and then they go in, and then they yeah, get mean, Katrina again. Face so. it, you can't, Dude, it, you can't use capital crazy. markets to cheat nature. Yeah, sure. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, so in California, I've, I've heard that within the last year or so, there are even companies that refuse to underwrite new auto car insurance what, policies. Because of theft? Because of dude, because of everything. Like new like new new cars. Oh, because it's impossible to, to fix get cars. Yeah, okay. Yeah, like to to fix a new car, dude, like even just a bumper replacement is like yeah. there's a shitload of sensors in the bumper yeah. and yeah. there's like all sorts of crazy like custom stuff to 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 uh to comply with like NHTSA and yeah. you know whoever like safety regulations right so like the cost to replace a bumper is like thousands of dollars wow and the and the uh, insurance companies are just like we like this is can't ridiculous shit. yeah we That's can't keep up with this didn't shit didn't like all state or something like leave california yeah something yeah like we're all like, state we're not fucking dealing with california anymore it's too expensive yeah it's just like you know they'll they'll, they'll honor like the insurance um uh board or whatever the you know the insurance regulators you can't just like abandon existing policies, oh, okay. but you can, you but can you can definitely just say, we're not doing yeah, any you can, new business. Yeah. You can just be like, we're not doing any new business. And wow. that's totally compliant with the insurance regulators. Yeah. And with climate change, the flood insurance thing is broken because after Houston, you know, that massive flood in Houston a few years ago, I heard basically like the flood, the federal flood insurance program is completely insolvent, especially if this thing's going to happen again, which it will. Which it will, and more yeah. often. So my friend like ditched that house. He he sold it before before Houston, and oh, got himself to a him. non non you know a non place that is not too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, this 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 has been an ongoing problem in Texas. Like you know, Galveston, which is like on the barrier islands, basically. Mm-hmm. Dude, that place oh, yeah. was underwater like multiple times in the early twentieth century, and they had to like raise the entire like lift up the entire fucking town to like, yeah. Like they, like they regraded the entire town. It's crazy. I will, I will say that there is something, I know people, um, it's, it's going to be hard to shake this ownership mentality, Hmm. but I, I, I do see an upside to there being sort of like an asset light approach, especially in a world where I think you're going to see more political, um, pressure to protect renters, uh, and yeah. more financial hardship is going to fall on landlords and owners. So, do you do you think this is the reason why big money is going into going into property ownership? And well, I think it out? I think that they jumped the gun. Aren't they getting out of it? Like a lot of them kind of jumped the gun, and then 
and then I know Blackstone was acquiring stuff, and then now they're they kind were of like buying a lot. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, it. I think a lot of the a lot of that was in like I feel like a lot of it was in 2021, right? And in 2023, that might have slowed down a heck of a lot, right? There's like a lot of commercial real estate issues now as well, um, and just generally, rates. Look, you can you can just get five percent and sit in treasuries. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. The inflation like, narrative is is some arguably somewhat damaged now as well. So not if you look at Europe though. Uh, not if you look at Europe, no. Although it's falling a little bit in Europe, but you know it's a kind of a. I, I I do think though, like to your to your question of like if you are talking about your primary residence, I still think that there is value in many cases, especially if you have yeah. No, I'm not saying it's over. I'm saying there's a shift. There's but, a shift. Clearly, yeah. I mean, I still think. Most signs point towards you want to own your primary residence if you can. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think if you have, I think it's it, it's it's kind of simple. It's like if you have family and kids, mm-hmm. you probably want to own it because you just kind of want like the homestead sort of thing, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't, then going asset light is very attractive because you can always just like pack your bags and you know fuck off at any yeah. moment. At any moment, right? Yeah. So I think that's that's kind of comes down to like think of you know what's like is what's what's interesting interesting to think about is the second home is like this is the vacation home oh the vacation because home. I would never, you know I would sometimes never I'll like walk that. into a I'll rent a house off VRBO or yeah, yeah 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 and I'll go in and I'm like oh my god this place is great like I would love to own a home out in the country yeah. where I can escape the city I come yeah. here all the time but then. You know, a couple times I've been out there and things have gone wrong and things always go wrong, especially yes. when you're off grid. Off grid is a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Uh, yeah. You get all sorts of like backups and in your costs fucking costs uh, are high out there, right? Because to get people yeah. out there to fix shit. Yeah, you got to get every and the heating breaks all the fucking time. It's yeah, all propane yeah. driven. Nothing works well. There's no yeah. sewer system. It's a septic tank yeah. and that shit always yeah, gets yeah. fucked up. Yeah. And every time something wrong happens, you've got to get a guy. There's like one guy and it takes them an hour to get there. Yeah. And then on top of that, that's it. It's just that place. It's just that place and that plot of woods. And you better get used to it. Whereas, you know, like as a renter, I can just pick and choose. Every you time could, I go out, I can pick You can a go house. to a different vacation home every time. Yeah. And I can get a really nice house or a really small exactly. house. I could bring 10 people and get a massive house. Or I could just go me and my wife and we get a tiny house. Yeah. And to me, it's like, you know, the advantages of being just like a pick and choose renter. Vastly, and when I leave, I leave. Close the door, boom, that's your mm-hmm. problem again. Right? Mm-hmm. It just vastly outweighs whatever interest there is in owning a vacation home. I don't really get the vacation home thing at all because I think, especially with things like Airbnb, VRBO, or whatever, it's just so yeah, easy it's, to it's rent. So it's so easy now. Liquid. And there are yeah, so like, many people who just they want to do that because for some reason they, they just, I don't know, they like to do Airbnb and they're willing to put up with the hassle and they're willing to put up the capital. You mean to be the, the landlord? Cost. To be to the be landlord in it, right? And I'm just yeah, like, I think okay, they're being great. tricked into it. To be honest, I think, I think so. a lot I'm of gonna, them are like, fools. you know, cottages up here in like, like a little bit north of Toronto is like Ontario cottage country, right? Like the good cottages are pushing two million now or over, right? Especially if you got water. Look, two million dollars. It's all right. Silly. Like it's come on. It's silly. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But like, yeah, the there are, f- there are people with money and they transact these cottages. So, you know, it, it only it only makes sense if you have minimal leverage or zero leverage, and you're banking on capital gains. 
capital appreciation, or, or it's just people with a lot of money. Like I think, I think or like, just people with a lot of money with yeah, lots of rich. money. Yeah, I think yeah. people people no, but, with like twenty million dollar net worth will buy a three million dollar cottage, right? But, but 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 I'll tell you what. I had a friend who owns, uh, you know, a, a nice big house in in the burbs uh, mm. of uh, Maryland. You know, pricey area, and you know he thought he was all topped out in terms of how much real estate. But he likes to he he keeps going to this one area. Uh, which is you know not far from him. It's called Deep Creek. It's sort of like the little mini Tahoe of the of Maryland, right? And you have really nice houses out there too. And he was you know he and his wife were like, hey, maybe we should talk about buying it, uh, buying a house, you know, because they have friends that own homes there too, and they've got mm-hmm. kids, and they're like, it would be great. It's like a two and a half hour two hour drive, and they're just boom, they're in this totally different house out in the woods, out in the out in nature on a lake. And so they thought about it, just not, not not like seriously, but then seriously enough for him to talk to the mortgage broker about it. And the mortgage broker was like, okay, you could borrow $1.4 million. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> what? He was like, yeah, you could borrow at a maximum. I'm just saying your maximum available you know, Correct. borrowing power here yeah. is like $1.4 million. I sorry, I don't know if it's he could borrow one point four or one point four was like the sort of the house higher end of the house okay. price that he could afford. Yeah, you know, yeah. with, I think it was one point. Sorry, I think it was one point four million was the house price that he could afford. You know, assuming fifteen okay. percent like down or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he was shocked. He was like, I he couldn't believe that he could afford that. You can't. You, you see what I'm saying? He couldn't believe that he could afford that, and he still <laughs> he didn't believe that he could afford that, even though that's what the broker said. I could put you into. A financing situation where you could easily buy a 1.4 million dollar second home and he was like what part he told me he was like i don't know what algorithm like what little data like calculator thing that they have that makes them think that i should buy a 1.4 million dollar second home second home. Like, i'm not second that home. guy yeah. yeah but but what i'm saying is like even the people for whom like are looking to buy are shocked at how much they're allowed to afford that's the end of part one of a two-part podcast part two will be on the patreon feed if you want to join the patreon go to patreon.com slash planameg.